This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Stephanie McMahon talks the WWE Network and the transition into Peacock. The match everybody's still talking about. Dr. Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. JR pisses himself. And AEW president Tony Khan takes his wrath to a helpless girl on the internet. I'm your host Seth Grimes. And this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Well, I'm kind of surprised I didn't see this one coming, but uh, apparently the Peacock Network is uh, censoring the WWE content that's coming through. They're reviewing it and filtering it through their own personal standards and practices. Check out this clip. Peacock is reviewing the entire WWE Network video library and removing content that does not align with its standards and practices. That information comes via a report from The Hollywood (laughs) Reporter. (laughs) Well, for those of you that don't want anything taken off the network, the good news is there's like... Uh, 15,000 hours, so it's going to take a little while. Mm. But let me tell you something. I watched that whole Attitude Era again. I've been watching the Invasion Era. I lived through it, for crying out loud. And I lived through everything this guy. I've watched every single WWE television show and pay-per-view on national television. With like I, I could count on one hand the number of shows I've missed since 1990. Every single Solitary one. And I'm not sure how big this library is going to be if they actually get rid of everything that would not, uh, what's the word? It, it would not... Uh, pass the mustard. Pass the mustard. Pass the mustard. <laughs> the entire Attitude Era would need to be edited out. All of it. What could you possibly even air in the Attitude Era? The blood, the sex, the violence... The language. Before that, you had Indians and black guys with big chains around them and all the other stereotypes and shit. Everything Roddy Piper used to say. What about when he painted himself half black? That whole thing. I mean, the list goes on and on and on for what could be deemed appropriate or not appropriate for this day and age or live up to NBC's standards and practices. Why can't this just fall under fucking like a rated R movie? They got the Leprechaun on Peacock. The whole Leprechaun series. Just got done watching it. All of them. Why can they show Leprechauns ripping out of people's stomachs and fucking flying up into their pee holes and stuff? Why can they do that? But they can't have... Well, I don't know. We don't know what's getting edited out of the WWE content. We're only making assumptions at this point. But my God, just think about it. If you were to really go back into WWE's history, first of all, it's going to take you forever. There's so many. It the, the You could spend the rest of your life watching WWE content all day, every day. I don't know if you could get through everything that's on the network. And to go through all of it with a fine-tooth comb looking for things that are inappropriate, what's that going to be? Is that going to be blood? 
Is that going to be chicks and thongs crawling around on their hands and knees? Is it going to be swear words? Is it going to be what's it good? Is it going to be racial stereotypes? What's it going to be? Because it's all there. All of it's in the WWE library. Every last bit of it and more. Lots more. All of it. Choppy, choppy, pee-pee. Are we going to ever get to see choppy, choppy, pee-pee again? Are you going to tell me that the fucking NBC Universal is going to censor choppy, choppy, pee-pee? Don't you censor choppy, choppy, pee-pee. That's my choppy, choppy, pee-pee. I'm totally against censorship. I hate that they're doing this, but it's the fucking world that we're living in. And we could very well be heading towards the WWE Attitude Era being canceled. That's right. So last week we talked all about the Jim Cornette and Miro and Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford drama. We got more drama all over the internet and Twitterverse this week. Crossing over into YouTube and all of that. In regards to a girl with a YouTube channel that goes by the name of Girl on Cinema. She reviews movies and shit like that. And apparently she's a wrestling fan because from day one she's also reviewed wrestling shit. Uh, but she did a review of Revolution, I believe, or something after an AEW show. And... Uh, Ended up getting a copyright strike against her on YouTube. And the story behind that gets very interesting. Check out this clip. It was like Tuesday evening. I received a few emails from YouTube, which is pretty normal as a girl that puts out YouTube videos weekly. Um, but there was something special about these particular emails. These emails were copyright claims. Again, something that I am super used to as a YouTuber. Um, so I looked at them and it, it was apparently AEW that had done the claiming. But upon further inspection, I noticed a word I had never seen on a copyright claim before, and that was the term manual. For those of you who do not know, um, most copyright claims are automatic. It means like a robot, an algorithm, uh, saw some things and said, that's ours, we're going to claim it. Whatever. But when it's manual, it gets a little more personal, doesn't it, Tony? That makes me very angry, considering I believe that all of my videos fall completely under fair use, and we'll get more into that later. So I took some screenshots of these uh, particular emails, and I thought, well, my, my viewers definitely need to know about this, because it's one, hilarious that AEW would claim my videos. I already have some beef with AEW. Um, on a personal level, apparently. And so I screenshotted them. I tweeted them with some funny things. I thought it was funny. I thought I was being funny, at least. Um, and I tagged Tony Khan, because I'm not a pussy. I ain't no bitch. Mama ain't raised no bitch. Nuh-uh. Uh, I just decided to say, hey, listen up, you little four-eyed loser. You f***ing daddy's boy. And by the way... <laughs> For those of you who don't know, the full pay-per-view from last week is still on YouTube and it has not been claimed. Went to bed expecting, you know, I figured the tweets would get pretty popular amongst my viewers. I never once in my life did I think that Tony Khan would actually respond to my tweets. 
I got a response, a response from Tony Khan himself. And this is the tweet that he replied to me with. Now, when I first read it, I thought, oh, how sweet. Maybe he's actually going to stick up for the little guy. But then, you know, he did the backhanded bullshit. Uh, and had to, of course, add in that he's a, a billionaire and that he spends millions and millions of dollars on his uh, episodes, his AEW episodes. So please do not try to use my AEW uh, clips in your videos, okay? So this girl's on there just doing a review show, just like I'm doing, just like everybody else on the internet does, a fucking review show of AEW or WWE or fucking your mom's house or whatever. And she's got an entertaining little show where she talks a bunch of shit about AEW the whole time, and it's fun to listen to. All of a sudden, this bitch gets a copyright claim, a manual copyright claim, which means somebody actively chose her video from AEW and reported it for a copyright claim. Mind you, let's not get into the full lesson here in a full fucking sidebar rant on what fair use is and all of that. <clears throat> this girl, everything she did fell under fair use, which gives you the right to use copyrighted material for the use of parody or review or commentary and shit like that which is exactly what she was doing. And she was just using little tiny clips of things, just like every review show you ever watch ever. And there's a million of them out there and there's a million of them that didn't get a copyright claim. But because she was talking trash, she did get a copyright claim. So then she tweeted about it and Tony Khan himself replied to the tweet antagonizing her more saying, well, hey, do you think you could do your review show without trying to pirate a fucking million dollar, multi-million dollar production? It's legal under fair use, first of all. So fuck off. It doesn't matter if your material is copyrighted if you are using it under the Fair Use Act, under fair use guidelines. She is reviewing and commenting on this show critiquing this show fair use every youtube video you watch has it right all the movies that you fucking watch your tv shows they all have review shows they all play clips it's part of the game that's how it works it's fair use it's legal in journalism i'll get off of that more importantly what is tony khan doing responding to this chick that has like 2,000 followers or some shit on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, what is the point? Why are you spending your time and energy on this? It's disturbing. It's concerning. What does he have against her specifically? Is it just because she's talking shit? There's a bajillion other people on YouTube that are using those clips, doing reviews, that did not get manually singled out for a copyright claim and then smacked down on Twitter by the fucking boss man. This is a bit much. I think Tony's going a little bit too far with some shit. I believe that this falls purely under the fact that somebody was uncomfortable with the way that she was talking about AEW. Period. 
her show, her gimmick, much like Jim Cornette, is to sit and talk shit about AEW. She's even got a fucking t-shirt that's her face looking like a Jim Cornette face. It's She's great. It's fun. But that's her gimmick. That's what she does. That's how she's trying to make money. And she's new, so she's not even a huge YouTuber. And AEW's fucking stomping her out, and I don't like that. That's not fair. That's not right. You do not have the right to stomp out people that critique you. This is journalism. Whether it's falling under parody or entertainment or she's making a show out of it and it's her gimmick, it doesn't matter. We as as the people have a right to our opinion. We have the right to voice our opinion. We have the right to critique you. I'm sorry, but there's a legal fucking government document that allows people to use your copyrighted precious fucking million dollar content to critique your precious fucking million dollar content and tell everybody that they think it sucks, right? I can take clips of your TV show and I can shit on it the whole time and I can put that up and I can get paid for it because it is legal under the Fair Use Act and the Copyright Act. It's out there. Look it up. So they have no fucking case. But when they're picking on someone so little, they know it's not going to get drug out to court. And a, com- a bigger company like AEW is going to have the power with YouTube to fucking just stomp on those little ants. They're going to stomp out every little ant that they want to because they can. Because YouTube has its own little autobots that will go out there and that will find copyrighted shit just based on the fucking the, the, the artificial intelligence just scanning everything. And you can... And, and at least when it's artificial, when it's the bot that does it, you can dispute the claim... And you can present your case. Hey, this is under fair use. I'm doing commentary on it. And then they'll go, oh, yeah, that checks out. You're good. But every once in a while, some of these motherfuckers get a little stick up their ass, a little thorn in their craw, if you will. And they fucking just go after YouTubers for no reason. Because they can. Because they want to. Because they want to stomp out that fucking negativity. As she pointed out in her video, uh, where I got this clip from, she says that still, as of the time she did her video, the full AEW Revolution pay-per-view was on. All fucking three or four hours of it was on YouTube still, with no copyright claim to it. Still up there, yet her fucking video gets picked on by AEW and she gets smacked down by Tony Khan on Twitter. Why? Why are they doing this? Why are they picking on her? Why are they trying to censor the public? It's not a good look. Part of being the indie rock star company that they want to be, the alternative, the cool brand, right? They want to be the cool guys compared to WWE. Part of being the cool guys is not being a fucking corporate douchebag stomping out little ants. Allow that shit. Encourage that shit. The more people talking about your product, the better. She's getting views on YouTube because her she's doing 
reviews on AEW. So people are searching out AEW content and it continues the conversation. People debate her in the comments. They don't just believe her and go, oh, she says it sucks, so it sucks. There's people that agree and there's people that disagree and it sparks a conversation. More people talking about AEW. You don't want people talking about AEW in the sense of, hey, AEW shutting down YouTubers that say negative shit. I've said before, I am a huge AEW fan. I watch it every week, but I'll still critique it if there's shit to critique, and I'll praise what needs to be praised. I'll praise the Britt Baker-Thunder Rosa match, but I'll knock the exploding barbed wire botch. It is what it is. That's the nature of entertainment, period. Be willing to be critiqued. You have to if you're going to put yourself out there. If you're going to put something out, you're going to get people that are going to talk about it. Not everything's going to be good. And you don't need to chase these people down about copyright claims again. It's totally like either Tony Khan has no fucking concept of what fair use is or he's just trying to muscle through it because he can. Because it's the big guy against the little guy. And he's just pissy about what the videos are about. YouTube's not going to stick up for her against you. So if you press the issue, she's fucked. She's not going to take you to court. But I would say in the court of public opinion, sir, that is a party foul, right? Flag on the fucking play. Leave the girl alone. She's entertaining. It's fun. And it gets people talking about your product. I don't know. I could go on and on about this because I'm passionate about it because I myself am in the game of critiquing and could be in the same boat as her at any given point. So... Uh, want to spread that that uh, message, I guess. I want to give her props. Go check out her videos. Watch her. Enjoy her. It's fun. Give her your support. And and know that she's it's a gimmick like fucking like, like Jim Cornette. She's going to hate on everything. That's what she does. So that's fun. Go support her. Girl on cinema. Girl on wrestling. And to also just kind of spread the knowledge Fair use act, motherfucker. Moving on. Ever wonder what happens when an announcer in professional wrestling is sitting behind the desk for a long time, calling a pay-per-view for like two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours? You ever wonder what they do when they gotta, you know, take a leak or something like that? Well, if you hadn't heard it before, because JR likes to talk about it a lot, you got into good detail about it this week on Grilling JR. Check out this clip about just just listen. <laughs> well, let it's me. Facts. I I know I'm asking a, a silly question here, but how many times do you think you've pissed your pants over the years where you just couldn't leave the desk and hey, this is live TV, folks? Here's the dirt, Conrad. I keep a scorecard. <laughs> I keep a log, but there's an app. There's an I app. A, I, have a, I have a JRP app. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. I don't have the number, but it's certainly been more than once. Okay. It's just tremendous. What a story. What dedication you have to your craft con, sir. I'm I've, not going to leave my post as they say. And, uh, I don't know, you know, that where darks has kind of a, been a running joke for years, but you know, sometimes 
here's here's the it's a double-edged sword you drank coffee or hot tea for your pipes yep and to keep and to keep lubricated and and so forth and then uh with all that consumption of, of liquids gotta go somewhere gotta go somewhere baby you either respect it or you're like what the fuck you know because like like he said in the podcast booker t got up and walked away and took a piss booker t ain't gonna piss himself there he ain't doing that shit but jim ross man he's fucking team team announced team all the way through you know what i'm saying dedicated to the fucking job if he's supposed to be sitting there calling the matches he's not getting up from that desk He's going to wear his black pants, and if he's got to piss himself, he's got to piss himself. That just is what it is. They pay me enough, I will piss myself if I have to. Makes you wonder, does everybody do that? Was that just a JR thing? I think he said someone told him that at some point, taught him the ropes. What about what about Michael Cole? I could see Michael Cole pissing himself. He's a piss himself kind of guy. I don't see Corey Graves pissing himself. I don't see Beth Phoenix pissing herself. I certainly don't think Renee Young would have pissed herself when she was there doing commentary. I think it's a JR thing. I think it's a Michael Cole thing, probably. I I could only assume. What would you do if you're sitting there in the announce table? It's your job to call this action. You need to, you have a job to do. You have to sit at a table and you have to call the moves or you have to give background to the story being told, okay? That's what you got to do. You got no time to piss. But when you're talking and you're talking and you talk, 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 you got you to gotta stop to take a, a drink of something once in a while because your mouth, you get all cotton choppy and stuff. You got to quench that thirst. You got to lubricate that throat. You got to stay at the top of your vocal game for hours. So you got to drink stuff. Can't just go out there all dehydrated and think you can skate by not pissing because you didn't drink or eat anything. What if you got to take a shit? JR didn't address that. Does he shit himself? Imagine having to sit next to a guy if he shit himself. Imagine when there were fans and there were fans sitting behind the announce table and they see they're sitting behind good old JR, cowboy hats blocking their view, they can't see shit, and all of a sudden they get a whiff of just, did JR shit his pants? Or, or at the very least, you get a little puddle that rolls down the floor towards you. You're sitting there in the first row, and all of a sudden there's a leak from the announce table. I think it's probably just their water bottle or Gatorade or some shit, but it's JR pissing all over your shoes. That's exactly what's going on here. I mean, I don't blame them. If you're gonna, I mean, you know what? I respect it. Wouldn't be my call. I would find a way to sneak out of there during a commercial or fucking trucker it into a bucket, you know, or like a like a trailer park boys, Ricky's dad's piss jug, the old dirty piss jug. Could could trucker it. But uh pissing myself is not on my list of things that I'm gonna be doing. Um Anyway, you know, I'm just now I'm considering did he wear a man diaper, an adult diaper, and now I'm just it's too much to think about. Why am I? And then I start to consider my life. 
Why am I sitting here talking to a microphone about a 60-year-old man pissing and shitting himself in a diaper? This is my life. Welcome to professional wrestling. Stephanie McMahon was on the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast talking about everything business related to the WWE. Super insightful interview if you have any interest at all in the business side of the WWE, how they work from a corporate structure. Uh, Just a great in-depth interview on the business side of things. In particular, one of my favorite things is the emergence of the streaming service and how that industry is developing. And here's what she had to say about that. Let's get back to our conversation with Stephanie McMahon, the chief brand officer over at WWE. So, Steph, I want to go a little bit deeper on on streaming because Peacock obviously is a huge deal for you guys and is also, I would say, from a sporting perspective and from an entertainment perspective, a very strong endorsement of that streaming service. Tell us how you guys sort of assessed the landscape because, you know, you did a really nice job of laying out kind of where we were, um, you know, back in the WrestleMania 1 days to where we are now. And our habits have changed. Distribution has changed. But you are, you know, one of the biggest deciders, as it were, in terms of directing your content. Walk us through that process for the brand. Sure. Well, you know, and and Vince's perspective has always been to be slightly ahead of the curve. You never want to be so far ahead of the curve that people don't understand what you're doing, and you certainly never want to be behind. So it's one of the reasons why we were, you know, first to launch seven years ago, one of the first to launch um, WWE Network, our direct-to-consumer, and um, OTT service. Because we had done a ton of research, and our fans had been very vocal that they wanted their own destination, their own channel, if you will. You know, we, we did learn a lot, you know, from that time. So we were, we were actually pretty far down the pike negotiating a linear deal. Um, but then our, mm. you know, almost partners wanted to lock up our rights for about 10 years. And it just was a really long time, and we, you know, decided to take a step back. We did deeper research. We learned that our fans were consuming five times more online video than average. So we thought, you know what, let's control our own destiny here. And we doubled down in an eight months, which was a, a huge Herculean effort, if you will, um, to launch WWE Network at that time. Um, but even prior to the pandemic, we were already starting to have conversations with different partners and players in the space because... You know, like I said before, we're not a technology company. You know, I think we did a remarkable job, and we have a remarkable technology team, but that's not who we are at our core, and, and that we're not going to change who we are at our core. You know, we, we don't have the, the capital to, to do that, and that's not the direction. That's not our level of expertise. So what we are is incredible content creators, and, and we have, you know, a generations-long history of that. So we wanted to to find the best partner that we possibly could to provide our most premium content. And NBCU has been a partner of ours for over 30 years. You know, the WWE Network, when it came out, I think a lot of people overlook that the WWE Network was groundbreaking. There was not a lot, like it was not the industry that streaming in general was not the industry that it is now seven years ago. There was no Disney Plus. There was no Paramount Plus. There was no 
fucking your mom plus. There was no Peacock and Hulu and all that shit. Maybe Hulu was around back then, but still trying to find its footing. The WWE Network was really one of the first in line for the over-the-top streaming service, the in-your-home direct-to-consumer product. So um, definitely groundbreaking, but it was it was interesting to hear Stephanie say that they're not in the they're not in the technology business. They're not in the streaming business. They are a content provider, not a content platform, if that makes sense to you. They're not in business to create the best streaming service. They're in business to create content. So if they have people sitting in the big chairs, you know, sitting around the table, Vince is there eating a steak with ketchup, mean mugging people who are about to sneeze. When they're sitting around this table having these conversations, at some point they decided, how much effort are we going to put into our network? We have this network. Are we a network company? Are we our own network? Are we a streaming service? Or are we a content provider? If we are a content provider, that's where our focus needs to be. Simplify. Not only that, but we have people working for WWE that are smart enough to realize that all these other networks are in the process of buying content right now. They are all in the market for content because they're competing with each other. It's the wild west of streaming services. All right, we went from a Netflix and maybe a Hulu and a WWE network all the way up to fucking you have a streaming service for everything. If you subscribe to everything, all the streaming services, you're paying far more than you ever paid in cable. Getting a lot more back, but paying far more. Somebody in WWE, and it might have been this Nick Khan fella, they took a look at the situation and they were able to realize that they could make a boatload of money if they just sold their content instead of putting out their own network and being a fucking tech company and, and having to run this streaming service, which they did flawlessly until they did their little revamp or rework or remodel or whatever the fuck you call it, the updates that they did to it. Completely messed it up. I loved the way it was set up before that. It was so easy to follow. But in any event, they were nearly flawless. If you remember back at the beginning, there were a few lagging issues and things like that, that, you know, which is absolutely normal in any new streaming service. Even Disney Plus had lagging issues on its first day. You know, it wasn't a lot of times that just kind of boils down to you're not sure how much traffic you're going to get. And sometimes the site just crashes or has a hard time kind of keeping up with everything. But in any event, they were trend centers when the WWE Network came out. But now we are in an era where you can make stupid money selling everything to one of these streaming services so that they have product to put on TV. They're not even concerned with making money right now. You're paying a billion dollars over the course of five years for the rights to use this. Well, shit, they're only, there's a little over a million subscribers and they're only paying 10 bucks a month. That's $10 million a month. That's, that's times 12. That's what, a hundred and... 120,000 
or 120 million a year you're pulling in. 120 times five. I don't know about you, but to me, that doesn't add up to a billion. That adds up to 600 million, roughly. I mean, this isn't a math podcast. It doesn't fucking matter. What I'm trying to tell you is that the Peacock Network is paying far more for the WWE Network than they are going to make off the WWE Network, and they don't care. Because right now they're willing to take that loss to compete in the marketplace, to go out and say, well, we have this and we have that. Come subscribe to us. All these streaming services are in the process of just collecting customers right now. Not so much Netflix, because they're established. They have all their customers. Right now, Netflix is in danger of losing customers. Right now, Netflix is trying to stay in the game, let alone on top of the game. You know, because I, I would venture to say that Netflix is going to not be an industry leader for too long. All this, Some of these other networks are going to rise up, and they're going to do it by having the kind of content that's going to drive traffic to them and want to subscribe. WWE is certainly part of that. There's not a lot of casual viewers that were around during the Attitude Era and that kind of thing that are going to pay $10 to subscribe to the WWE Network every month. They don't care. But if it was something they were going to subscribe to anyway or on the fence on, should I subscribe to Peacock or should I subscribe to this fucking Paramount shit? A WWE Network, oh, by the way, you're going to get WrestleMania. You're going to get all the old WrestleManias. All You're going to get everything WWE have, WWE's entire library, eventually, once they figure out technology and can actually get it uploaded. That was, it was a short, the, the deal happened quick. They didn't have time to, ideally, they should have had it all transferred before even announcing so they could just launch and have it, but everything came together quick, so... Give them a little slack on that. But you see where this is heading. So they made... WWE, another thing Stephanie said in this interview, which was fucking brilliant. She's a smart chick. Stephanie's very smart. Um, one of the things she said in here was that WWE's always been good at being ahead of the curve. She said you don't want to be so far ahead of the curve that people look at you like you're a fucking weirdo. Like, What are these assholes doing? Their own network? What's that? It's not even a thing. So you don't want to be that far ahead of the curve. But you don't want to be so far behind the curve either that you're playing catch-up. You want to be slightly ahead of the curve, which WWE was. Netflix was already out. Streaming services were already kind of a thing, but they weren't really a thing. There was a Netflix, and then there was that was it, pretty much. And then all of a sudden, WWE's like, yeah, see, Netflix is doing it. Let's do that. Years before even like a Disney came out or Paramount. This is Viacom and fucking and then Peacock with NBC Universal. These are the big time players in the media industry, the content creation industry. These are the heavy hitters. And they were WWE was seven years ahead of the game on these people. Six years, five years. They are truly ahead of the game. And now they're doing it again because right now the name of the game is buying content for the streamers and if you're a seller it's a great time to be trying to make deals to sell your product wwe's making hand over fist in tv ratings or in tv 
royalties because ratings are down across the board. Everybody talks about wrestling ratings like they're fucking through the, the like they're tanking, right? Ooh, compared to the Monday Night Wars, meh. Ratings are tanking across TV, and you could point out to, oh, well, you know, this still gets this many million viewers and blah, blah, blah. Sure, but wrestling was always a niche audience anyway. And when the only place you could find it was on TV, then your ratings were going to be higher than they are now when it's not the only place they could find it. They have their own network. There's people that just watch the old shit. There's people that just listen to podcasts and catch up on the news of it. There's people that will watch the clips off the YouTube channel. There's people that just pirate it the next day because they don't have cable. There's all kinds of different ways to consume the content. So TV is in a live TV broadcast is in a position where People just aren't watching the shit anymore. So you want to pay top dollar for original content 52 weeks a year. That is must-see. Not that WWE's product is must-see because it's boring as shit. But it's live and it has potential to be newsworthy. And it's different every week. So uh, if they could just write you know, a better show, it would be appointment television still. So that's where they're getting the rights fees there. Then you got these streaming services. You have an entire back catalog. You have bajillions of hours of wrestling content. You own the wrestling business. If you can sell that, they tried to monetize it for themselves. They're making, they they only had a million subscribers. The better bet is to sell it to somebody. For their streaming service. Look how much more money WWE. We just walked through the math. Remember this is a math podcast. We just walked all the way through the numbers. WWE is making way more money. Probably double. Close to double. Almost double. What they were making on their own. Just by licensing it out to somebody else. To run on their shit. And they don't even have to worry about the tech problems or nothing. They don't got to do shit. Except for cash a check. And fucking make the the videos available. Here you go. Here's the files. Have fun. Talk to you in four years when we can renegotiate uh, after the fifth year, you know. Um, I believe that WWE will end up being bought. I've been on this train. You know, if you've been listening a little bit, you know that I've been talking about it before. I think WWE is on course to just selling outright. I, you know, it looks like NBC would be a player, but I would love to personally see Disney buy that. And I know a lot of people have their beefs with Disney and they have their reasons for being against that. But for me personally, uh, you know, being a Marvel fan and seeing that, I'm not a Star Wars fan, so I don't really give a shit about that. And I know there's a lot of true purist Star Wars fans that don't like what Disney's done with it. As far as Marvel's concerned, they haven't fucked up the product at all. In fact, they hired the biggest, dorkiest nerd that knew everything that they could find to head to be to to head up. Well, he was already running Marvel Studios, but they kept they kept it in place. They didn't come in and fuck it up and change everything. They wanted it to. They made it better. They put the Disney balls behind the product and just. Put out the best possible quality product, fan service, all of that shit. Callbacks, references, true to the comics, all that shit. All of it's there for your enjoyment. So I think 
in the hands of a Disney, a WWE would do fantastic. I would much rather that than an NBC or something to that effect, but we shall see. Only time will tell, but I do believe we're going to see that sooner rather than later. You can, uh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to vouch that you go listen to the Bloomberg podcast because I, it's not really wrestling related and we're not a podcast podcast. We're a pro wrestling podcast podcast. So we only care because Stephanie was on the show. So now we don't care anymore. Moving on. The Dr. Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa epic battle from last week is getting tons of talk all over the internet still this week. And I'm going to do kind of a combined segment here as Dr. Britt Baker, DDM, made an appearance on the Oral Sessions podcast this week with Renee Paquette. And Thunder Rosa made an appearance on AEW Unrestricted. And both women were asked about heavily. Uh, Almost the entire interview was about this match in particular for both women Uh, what it meant to them, what the effects were on the industry, how everything went into it, just the whole fucking, all of it. And uh, I'm going to play you both clips here. First, we're going to do the clip from Renee's Oral Sessions podcast. Then we're going to go to the clip from AEW Unrestricted. Then I'll come back with my comments on the clips. Check these out. How nervous was he for you guys? Like, what were the conversations you had with Tony leading up to this? So I had so many ideas written down in my notebook for this because I knew we had I had a little bit of time. We had time. And um, Jerry, Jerry is a big phone talker. So I I was talking on the phone with him so much, too. But if there's ever like uh, the story of Britt Baker, one of the there's a chapter on Jerry Lynn himself just for how much he's helped me even in the last like few months just with my in-ring work like character work and, and especially for this match Jerry didn't didn't treat us like women like he was he, he was like we were two just wrestlers putting together a main event lights out match which was really special to me because it was for the first time I felt like you know we're, we are we're, we're main eventers we're not like women's wrestlers with the match, I was really careful because uh, Tony is, he's very thoughtful and very caring and he worries and he doesn't want to, he's very worried about our safety and getting hurt. So I would always like give him an idea, like one at a time, like, Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, cool. I didn't want to throw it all at once. Cause he'd be like, no way. I saved the tax for last. I was like, I really think the tax are going to be something like that would make this match stick out. Cause girls don't take tax. And he was all for it. He loved it. But then it was right before the match. He pulled me in his office and he was worried. He's like, Brett, I don't know about some of these spots, this table bump at the end, like the ladder. I don't know. And I was like, just trust me, please just trust me. We got it. We have to do this. We have to do this for this match to be what it needs to be. And he did. I, I knew I was bleeding a lot because I saw it dripping down the mat and, and it was in my eyes, which is something I wouldn't, because when I bled before I broke my nose, but when the blood runs into your eyes, like no one warned me about that. No one told me like, Hey, if you, if you get color, it's going to run in your eyes and you, it's like a red fog. Like you, it's like a a red filter that right over your, and you can't see anything. And at one point I, in the match, you can literally see, I say to Paul, the I can't see. And I asked Reba, because she comes out with a towel. I said, give me your towel. She goes, I don't have it here. Gives me her jacket <laughs> where I wipe my bloody eyes off in her jacket. Because um, that, that did freak me out for a second. I was like, what is this? Like, am I passing out or what is that? What is going on? 
it was real. Uh, talk about the moment walking backstage and the applause you got from everybody backstage and just the feeling you had at that moment, because I know huh. it really came across on the air and it came across backstage as well. It's one of those moments where you cannot like fake it. I mean, like you mentioned, I was already crying at the end of the match because of all the things that I felt and all the things that I have gone through in the last seven months, like just coming to a new place and knowing that you're roughing some feathers and you know that you have to work really hard to show that um, you're one of the best talents. And that's the reason why they brought you here. And it's not that you're competing with anybody is that the reason that you're there is to make everybody better. Right. And just walking through and seeing absolutely everybody clapping is that moment. I just want to oh. like hold it to the rest of my life till I die. That was one hell of a fucking match. This was in, in, I know we don't talk about wrestling on this podcast, but we do talk about wrestling podcasts. And when Britt Baker is on a wrestling podcast talking about a wrestling match, well, I just, I got to talk about that podcast. Do I not? This match was fucking incredible. I don't know that it was a five-star classic. I think it was actually, I would say this should be remembered as one of probably one of the best matches in AEW for certain. One of the best women's matches of all time. I would put it in a top 10 list for sure without hesitating. I don't know if I'd go top five, but I would absolutely throw it on a top 10 list. These chicks kicked each other's asses, bled all over the fucking place. Thumbtacks! And, a th- and thumbtacks do not make a five-star match. But just the way that this match was put together, the rivalry that these two women have had, the way they both went out there with something to prove. They both went out there with a chip on their shoulder. They went out there to steal the show, to put their names on the map, to put women's wrestling on the map. This was one of those career-defining matches. To me, this was like, to me... And and this is going to sound like hyperbole because it is, but it's a reference I think will make sense after I finish stumbling my way through it. I would compare Britt Baker to Triple H. Britt Baker came in. She was just this snobby once she first... Well, I mean, first she tried to be babyface and was so unlikable that she had to be turned heel. And then once she was healed, she's just this unlikable, snooty fucking bitch with a fat, big nose, right? Triple H, an unlikable, snooty fucking guy with a fat, big nose. Was he a better worker than she is now when he was then? Yeah, of course, but we're not talking about that. Follow me here, character-wise. After Triple H's match with Cactus Jack at the Royal Rumble that one year in Madison Square Garden, he changed forever. He proved he was tough. He could hang in a brawl. He could hang in a main event level, all-out fucking brutal war. Baker proved that. Baker went out there and had her Cactus Jack Royal Rumble match moment. Not on the same level, but I think for her career, it was a career-defining match. This will absolutely be on her Hall of Fame resume if she ever makes it that far. When she hangs up her tights, she hangs up her boots. This is one of those matches that will be talked about till the end of her career. I promise you. This will be one of those matches that is talked about for years to come in AEW. 
just as a AEW highlight. I wouldn't be surprised if it makes it to the fucking intro of AEW Dynamite because it's special. And I think this is one of those things that's going to launch a Britt Baker, especially, but a Thunder Rosa as well. And I say especially Britt Baker because I don't think Britt Baker was on the level of Thunder Rosa. I think Thunder Rosa was seen as just a, uh, she is a better wrestler, but seen as a, a level above her. This elevated both of these women to a main event status. This was career defining, career changing, career making. This was everything you could have asked for in a match out of those two. If you don't like the blood and guts and you're a Jim Cornette purist and why you got to bring out the thumbtacks? I just want to see wrestling holds. Okay, that's fine. That's your opinion. But this is my opinion. And a hardcore match does not make a five-star match. But boy, did it add to this match. Boy, did it make a world of a difference for this match. Because this looked like a fight. It was a fight. This didn't look like a match. They weren't setting up for the table spot and then the tack spot. They were. But this looked like a fight with two chicks that had something to prove. And they went out there and they left it all in the ring. And that's all we could ever ask of our performers. That's more than we could ask of our performers. Props to Britt Baker. Props to Thunder Rosa. Props to AEW. Props to this match. This match, I think, can't went a long way in redeeming AEW from their uh, botched ring explosion. I think it built up a lot of much-needed uh, good faith, um, that kind of thing, you know. But, hey, man, go check out that match if you haven't seen it. Go ahead and check out both interviews, Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette, an AEW Unrestricted with Tony Schiavone and Aubrey Edwards. Bro, let me tell you something, bro. Bro, you want to know what really draws in wrestling, bro? It's storylines, bro. It isn't wrestling, bro. Bro, it's the storylines. That's how you draw your second million, bro. Check this out. The casual television viewers, the millions and millions of people that were tuning in every week and weren't necessarily wrestling fans because those people loved the entertainment aspect. I'm an entertainment guy, bro. I'm not a match guy. I never was a match guy. Even when I was a fan growing up, yeah. I love the entertainment aspect. And I knew, bro, if you're a wrestling fan, you're going to watch this show as long as wrestling is in the marquee. We've got to get the casual fans who wouldn't watch a wrestling show. So, bro, we did that through entertainment. Well, bro, now the loud minority are the wrestling marks and the dirt sheets. And what do the wrestling marks and the dirt sheets hate? They hate entertainment. Bro, somewhere along the lines, this niche audience, bro, I swear to you, they've convinced themselves that wrestling is real. 
and these matches are real and these matches should be 20 or 30 minutes and these guys should be putting their lives on the line. They've convinced them. I'm the complete opposite, bro. I'm an entertainment guy. A couple of things are going to happen if you lean on the side of entertainment. First of all, you're going to grow your audience tremendously. But second of all, bro, what you're going to do is you're going to prolong the careers of these guys. The less they have to do in the ring, killing themselves, the longer and longer they can make money in the business. Bro, to me, it's it's common sense. Chris Van Vliet, man, what an interview with Vince Russo. Uh, he even asked Russo straight up. He's like, man, you do say bro a lot, like a lot, a lot. Well, what's up with that? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like, uh, well, bro, why are you saying bro so much? And and he, Russo acknowledged it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's the thing I say. And. He blamed it on being in wrestling. You know, he never called anybody bro until I got out of wrestling and everybody was a bro. I don't know. doesn't matter. But Russo is always fun to listen to. I don't really have the heart to listen to his podcast all the time. I think he gets a little too negative for my blood. Uh, but damned if he isn't a character to listen to. He's a strong-willed, strong-minded, opinionated Never for a loss of words is Vince Russo. Had a really good in-depth interview with Chris Van Vliet on the Insight Podcast this week. Talking all about his career. He's talked about it before. I'm sure you've heard it before. But how he got his start from his video store closing to because of Blockbuster to writing for the WWF magazine to putting his balls on the table and Vince getting mad at him and then Vince turning around and saying that this is the direction we need to go and fucking that whole story. But it's always fun to listen to that story, listen to the old timers. Russo's 60 now. It's crazy to think about that kind of shit. It makes me fear for my age because someday I'm going to be fucking 60 before I even know it because, damn, Vince Russo's 60. Like, you don't think of a guy like that as 60 still to this day you don't but uh you know you listen to the old timers kind of tell their stories and and russo is very opinionated on what he feels wrestling should be and what draws and it's the age-old question because everybody hates vin vince russo everybody criticizes vince russo everybody says he's a fucking idiot because everybody says it, everybody buries him in shoot interviews. And most of the marks on the internet will just listen to all these shoot interviews and kind of think they know everything just by listening to all this stuff. But stop and consider the, the like, he's not entirely wrong. I'm not a fan of his tits and ass, shock TV, balls to the wall every segment style necessarily i don't think you know i there was a lot, i'm not i'm not a huge attitude era mark like a lot of people are i don't consider that to be the greatest era in wrestling i'm a i'm a old school 80 uh, you know late 80s early 90s mark that's that's my shit uh the hulkamania era 
But there is something to be said by what he always claims that wrestling fans will always watch wrestling. And those are the people that want the epic wrestling matches. Those are the people that like the wrestling competition. Half of those people went away to become UFC fans because that shit is real. And that's what they liked about it. They like the tough guys beating each other up and they got it through wrestling until UFC was a thing. And then they're like, you know what? I like the real thing a little bit better. But there were people that liked it for the dramatic storylines. There were crazy storylines in the Attitude Era. Not all of them were good. But a lot of them were very fun and just interesting. And uh, even if the stories themselves were not appropriate necessarily, like the chicks being nude all the time. I mean, hey, I'm a guy and all, but, but obviously that's not an appropriate way to present the product but he was very specific you know you write your segments you start the show with setting up what's going to happen at the end of the show you set your hook for the whole show then you tease it throughout the show you have your middle of the show segment or a couple segments backstage building up to the main event you have your thread that goes on through the whole show then you fill it in with your b plot and your c plot and and every and he took pride in every wrestler that he that was on the roster that was on the show had a storyline. If you were on the show, you had a, some kind of story, whether it was good or not. You had a story, and people will say, "Oh, the Attitude Era was only a success because Vince Russo had the filter of Vince McMahon." Well, Vince Russo didn't have any success without Vince McMahon anywhere else. He didn't have it in TNA. He didn't have it in WCW. But Vince McMahon didn't have the same success after Vince Russo either. His product went down year after year after year after year. It was never more wrestling was never more popular than it was in that Attitude Era. And it was because of the NWO. It was because of Stone Cold Steve Austin in the WWF Attitude Era. And it was because of the Monday Night War rivalry. That's what made it all so hot. And Vince Russo was right there writing it every single week. Before Vince Russo took over, when Vince Russo was just writing the magazine, wrestling was characters. People forget in the early 90s. Uh, to the you know the ninety fours, the ninety fives, the ninety threes. These were goofy. It was still cartoony. It was still trying to be what it was in the eighties, and it didn't work anymore because you didn't have those kind of characters. And society was changing. It was starting to grow an edge. Vince Russo. As soon as Vince Russo joined the writing team, that's when WWF started to blow up. You can't. You can. You. Sure, they had the perfect storm of stars because that was the same time they had Stone Cold Steve Austin. They had The Rock at the same time. They had Mankind, The Undertaker. I get it. They had the cast of characters to carry the show. But Vince Russo, you can't deny, was the head of creative. He was the one and only writer for that show at that time during WWF's biggest peak ever. And he's trying to say that entertainment is the way to go. That 
Wrestling matches are not going to draw in AEW their second million. Appealing to the wrestling fan, what we have right now, the the very bare bones, bare minimum viewership that wrestling has right now, that's the wrestling fan base. Those are the diehards that Vince talks about. And everybody else above that was a casual fan. Everybody else above that was somebody that might watch if it was interesting or could be sucked into it at some point in time. He's not wrong, but everybody gives him shit because everybody like a Cornette and a Bischoff and everybody and their mom, Bruce Pritchard, all of them, they all bury Vince Russo. I think a lot of his shit was trash and garbage and he might have been an eccentric, hard-to-get-along-with guy, but I think at the end of the day... He contributed to the wrestling business in a way that most people can never say that they did. Go check out that interview with Chris Van Vliet on the Insight Podcast on both podcast and YouTube. The leader of the pinnacle, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, also known as MJF, appeared on the Busted Open Podcast this week. He was interviewed by Bully Ray and Dave LaGreca. Not so much Dave LaGreca. Uh, Max kept fucking with him, and every time Dave would say something, Max would pretend that his uh, he was just hearing static and, and something was wrong with the guy's microphone. and Just great shit. Classic fucking MJF. So basically, Bully Ray interviewed MJF, and MJF talked about why he left the inner circle. Check this out. I was trying to be a professional broadcaster, okay? MJF is a guest. Ed Robinson put me in a hellish position here on a Tuesday morning, but I'm doing my best to be the consummate professional. But you, sir, first of all, Mr. MJF, it's not the Bully Ray show, no matter what this Hall of Famer tells you. The name of the show is Busted Open, all right? It's the number one pro wrestling show in the world, founded by me, Dave LaGreca. So the least you can do when you come on the air, whether you like me or not, is at least give me a little bit respect for what I have given to you by being on this show. It doesn't take a lot. Respect is earned, and I believe I've earned that respect from you. It's the weirdest thing. There's like a large gust of wind brushing on one of the <sighs> microphones, and I, I'm trying my best to comprehend what's going on. It's so odd. But anyway, I am, in fact, here to talk about, obviously, not David's shortcomings. The show's not long enough. No, no. I'm here to talk about A, one of the most historic promos in the history of the business that I cut last week, B, the pinnacle, C, me, and I am so excited to talk about those A, Bs, and Cs, Bully. So, so just rifle off your questions. I'm ready to go. How do you respond to those fans who might have had a problem with your promo on Jericho? Oh, my God, what an insightful question. Uh, I will give you an answer. So here's the deal. A lot of fans don't seem to understand that the wrestling industry isn't about making friends. This isn't friends, you know, this isn't friends business, it's show business. And my job is to make the most amount of money and be as successful as I possibly can be. Now, did Chris Jericho teach me a thing or two about leading a faction? Absolutely. And I can't thank him more for that. But that was the plan all along, guys. The plan was to infiltrate his group, learn as much as I possibly can from him, and then take out his group. Because let's face it, at that time, the inner circle was easily 
the best faction in AEW. And I knew that if I wanted the pinnacle to start off running hot, I needed to take them out first. So people need to stop getting so offended and stop being so sensitive. It was merely a tactic to get the job done. I think the storyline's a little wonky. The I, I infiltrated the group to destroy the group thing. I mean, it works. You know, it's not entirely believable, but it works. And you know what? Max is fucking, he's great. I love every single interview. Anytime you see somebody's going to interview or has an interview up with MJF, go out of your way to check that out because the dude is just gold the entire time. He will fuck with the host. He doesn't break character. He lives in kayfabe. I don't think he's a dick in real life, to the best of my knowledge, but everybody says he is, so he's living the gimmick, right? I think MJF has the potential to be one of the biggest stars in this entire business. He is currently. He's on the short list of biggest stars currently, but... I'm talking of all time. Like, I think Max is going to have a Hall of Fame career before it's all said and done. I do think he'll end up in WWE. I think he'll probably make a lot of money in WWE. I think he's going to do great there. Um, I hate to see him go there because I think he'll be so restricted if he did go. But I, I think he would be successful there nonetheless. And I like the Pinnacle. I like what they're doing with the Pinnacle. The name's fine, Pinnacle. Uh, forming the, you know, you can always say, oh, they're just trying to be another version of the Horsemen. And, you know, they are. But there's a reason for that. It works. And, and the Horsemen, uh, I don't, to the best of my knowledge, you know, I might be speaking uh, completely false here. But to the best of my knowledge, they didn't invent factions, right? Uh, they certainly made them cool. And set the standard, but I don't think they outright invented a faction. So to have four or five guys in a group, there's nothing wrong with that. That that works for me. That's a fucking faction. It's been done a bajillion times. And this is an elite class of wrestlers, an elite class of workers in AEW. FTR, arguably, if not <clears throat> arguably, if not the best tag team in the entire wrestling business period all right hold them up against any tag team in any generation then you got maxwell jacob friedman one of the best talkers ever in the history of wrestling already and he's had such a young career will he have a hall of fame wrestling career who knows but is he amongst the best talkers in professional wrestling Absolutely. Hold him up to any of them. Hold him up to any of them. I'd venture to say he's one of the best heels of all time. I love what they're doing with the inner circle. The, I think it's leading straight to the blood and guts. You know, the war games match in AEW. I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, go out of your way to check out this interview. Dave LaGreca, Bully Ray, busted open. If you subscribe to Sirius Satellite... Check out their radio show, the full radio show. Otherwise, they do have a podcast, and it's great entertainment. Dave LaGreca, Bully Ray, they play right in. You know, it's all it's all a big show, and it's fun to listen to. Check it out. On the New Day Feel the Power podcast, they began the first round in a 64-toy tournament. 
to determine the greatest toy of all time. Check out this clip. Next up, Skip It versus Bop It. Oh, come on, dude. It sounded right. good together. Put them on opposite ends. They nah. both had two. No, nah, you got to put the ends together. Why do you do this? Because yeah, you got to decide for the entertainment of the folks at home. Uh, I guess you're stuck here. I don't think I, I, I know Bop It is. I think I play a little bit of Bop It, but my sisters, once again, had a Skip It. And I put so many, uh, so many miles on that Skip It. It had a little counter. So it let you know how much work you were putting into. I'm out there getting my fitness in, wrapping that bad boy around one of my ankles. And I would just skip to my heart's delight. And I, you know, I got to credit a lot of my footwork to Skip It. There is no big E without Skip It. Skip It is uh, uh, an elite toy. And I will also say Skip It is a toy that I got to mention on WWE programming many moons ago, pre-New Day. And uh, Road Dog actually asked uh, who wrote this Skip It line and he tried to blame one of the writers for making me look like a doofus. And I told him, no, no, nah, sir, that's me. Skip It and I, we go way back. That Skip It line, that's on me. I said it and I want it. So Skip It over Bop It. So, okay, you make a very good argument for Skip It. Uh, and I'll throw something at that. But Bop It, I loved it because... Like you said, you liked learning and trivial pursuit, things like that. I loved like patterns in games and having to like physically do stuff. So the fact that it spin it, you got to spin it and actually bop it and flick it, like all that stuff. Yes. Trying to get the high score with people like in the same room. There's something about that because it starts to get faster and faster. Like we talked about with perfection. It's a built-in anxiety attack for a little kid. But then you talk about skip it and you have that commercial with the song and he hits you with... And the very best thing of all, there's a counter on this ball. So see if you can beat the very best score and see if you can jump a whole lot more. Like, that's, it's gotta be skip it. Because he even ends it with skip it and a kip it and a bop it. -bop. He just stopped saying words. He was like, you're already in. He's like, you're already gonna buy this. You're already gonna buy this. I'm yeah, just gonna, so start, me, gonna start scatting. Let me scat on the way out. Yeah, skip it and a kip it and a bop it bop. Like, he's like, my job is done, dude. Pay me, pay me, dude. This was my favorite podcast all week long. This made me laugh. This made me smile. This took me out of my reality while I'm working from home, trying to fucking zone out and daydream and forget my miserable life. And the New Day did that. They do that for me. All right? They create entertainment that brings me out of my miserable life and into their fictitious, fun, rainbow and unicorn world where pancakes fall from the sky, right? Bootios in every bowl. It's the good life. Man, this was such a fun podcast, though. This made me laugh my ass off. If you are a toy fan, and when I'm talking toys, we're talking a 64 toy tournament. So this toy, this, this tournament includes sleds, easy bake ovens, fucking... G.I. Joe's, fucking Legos, all of it. All those toys. Slinkies are in there. Tamagotchis. All the toys. The biggest toys. But yeah, this was a this was just so fun to listen to. And they went in depth. They brought us back to their childhood. They talked about things that made me feel all warm and nostalgic and brought me back to my toyhood. Everybody has a toyhood, don't they? You had toys. 
didn't you? Your mom didn't just give you a stick and an old shoe to play with. She bought you toys. Come on now. You had toys when you were a kid. This was about toys. This was just the first round of the tournament. They had 64 fucking toys to get through, so they weren't able to get through it. So I'm assuming they'll be able to wrap up the rest of this in a part two. But hell, this could go all the way to part three. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But I just got to say, man, the new day. Thank you. Thank you guys for uh, just being entertaining and uh, bringing brightness to my day. Because, yeah, all of these podcasts are fun to listen to. All of them are entertaining. And all of them take you out of your miserable life for a little bit, which is what the point of podcasts and entertainment are supposed to do. But I think New Day really went above and beyond. Uh, they they always have. In their, their entire career, they have. But uh, this this podcast... No, I'm not trying to hype it as like the greatest podcast of all time, Tony Khan and Christian announcement. I'm just saying it's funny, it's fun, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was my favorite podcast all week. Please go check this out. Thank you guys for checking out the show. Another one in the can. Tenth episode, number ten. That's exciting. I can do something 10 weeks in a row without giving up on it and being a complete failure. So that's fun. Huh? Yeah. Here's the 10 more. Thank you guys for listening. Please help spread the word. Tell your friends about it. Tell your little sister about it. Tell your neighbor across the street. Just yell to them out your window. That'll be fine. Post it on Facebook. Why don't you share it with your friends? I got the podcast, anywhere podcasts are found. If you're listening to me on YouTube, subscribe to my podcast or follow my podcast or whatever the fuck your app asks you to do. If you're listening to me on podcast, check me out on YouTube. I do post the full episode on YouTube if you prefer to do it over there. And I also do break it up into clips. So if you just want to check out little sections or you want to go back and check something out, got it all broken down there for you as well. Follow me on Twitter You can also fuck off and have a great week. And I will see you next Sunday for the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Come at me, Tony Khan, huh? I'm going to talk a bunch of shit about AEW just to see if Tony Khan want to come at me, huh? Come at me, bro. Come at me, huh?